Hi, this is Christopher Framberg and I'm one of the pastors in SOS Church Stockholm. We are an international Pentecostal church on Kungsholmen with celebrations in both English and Swedish. Our vision is to be a church that is for all people and to all nations that are living the Book of Acts kind of life in Stockholm and to the ends of the earth. We hope that this week's message will challenge and equip you to live a strong life together with Jesus. I've, you know, I, I don't know if you, you have that commercial here. That you, if you see that American commercial that it, where the older guy, the bald guy says, um, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. You know, is the well, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. It, it, would, it would be absolutely unusual for someone to have been where I've been and seen what I've seen and not come away with just a little bit of knowledge. I mean, you just get it by osmosis. But I've been in a lot of settings. Here's what I've observed so far here is that this is the healthiest group of uh, a community of ministry that I've been in in many years. And, um, you know, all of the elements of great community are here, are present here. And I'm talking about the community of God. Um, A humble servant leader, the man who's at the top is the servant of all. He, um, he's crazy about you, just like you're his kids because that's who you are. Um, you, you have in this community a, a clear understanding of roles and an understanding that where you are and who you are in the context of all of this is vital. It's a very key component to community, to the community of the Lord. And it's also a place where the cross and the Holy Spirit are central. Um, you, you don't go 10 minutes without talking about the Holy Ghost, without talking about the things of God, without referring to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I, I am just overwhelmed when I think about the number of churches that are now in your fellowship. But I will say this to you prophetically that 618 churches is nothing but a seed. It's just a seed compared to the harvest that you're about to experience worldwide. Because this is what I will tell you. Um, Pastor Johannes, Maria, this is what I will tell you. People are looking for you more than you're looking for them. And God is going to expand and grow and multiply you over these next few months and years in a way, listen, that you haven't even asked for. I want you to stand right now. And I want you to lift your hands right now. Just lift your hands. And I want you to say, Lord, open my eyes to what you plan to do and let me dare to believe it. Let me dare to believe what you see. 
Just lift your hands right now and bless the Lord. Just bless him. Just bless him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. Now, Lord, I pray that you will take the scales off of even the greatest man of faith in this room, the greatest woman of faith. Let them understand that they don't even see what you are about to do through this community. Lord, we give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak to you for a few minutes. Just do a, really a teaching this morning. And honestly, it's just by way of, of remembrance. We are just going to review the fundamentals of who we are. This, this conference is about going back to Bethel. And, um, you know, we can get stuck in Pentecostal ranks especially uh, we are a movement so afraid of losing our history, so afraid of, of, of losing our moorings, so afraid of losing that we continually want to go back to the good old days. I haven't heard that at all here. That's not what I've heard. This is what I hear. We've got to go back to what birthed us. We've got to go back to the original fire that fell on us, to the original vision that opened our eyes to the original anointing that was felt and translated and transferred. That's what we're talking about. This morning was perfect. I understood everything that, that our wonderful apostle said today when he talked about going back to Bethel. I get it. I like the ladder. I, lo I love that. When he climbed up that ladder, man, I felt like I was up there with him. We're reaching up for things that are in heaven. We're bringing them to earth. Hallelujah. I get it. And today, we need to understand that the church of Jesus Christ is transcendent. That means the church transcends every challenge of culture. The church transcends every challenge of socioeconomic development or underdevelopment. The church transcends language. The church transcends every barrier. So we have the one message that the enemy cannot withstand, that the world cannot obstruct. We have the one message that our flesh can't mess up. It's the message of the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm a football coach. So I believe in fundamentals. In fact, for many years, because of the success of our football program, and some of you may not know about Philip's football background, when Philip graduated from our high school, and I had the privilege to coach him, uh, ESPN Magazine said this about Philip. said, Philip Dees has virtually rewritten all of the record books of high school football in America. That's how good he was. 
But I will say this about Philip and about all of the young men that I coached. They were fundamentally sound. We stress fundamentals. That means we receive the ball in a certain way with a certain positioning of our hands. Every step has to be measured and we work over and over again on our footwork. It's very important in the game of, of American football. And we go over these fundamentals again and again and again and again until we perfect them. Why is it? Because our game is a game of inches, just like soccer or the real football is a game of inches. Our game is a game of inches. And so fundamentals give you that incremental edge that you need in order to prevail over your opponent. So you must be perfect in your fundamentals. Now, when it comes to the kingdom of God, what I'm seeing is that people have a hunger for new ideas and because they are so concerned about new ideas and new concepts and new breakthrough thoughts, that they are somehow forgetting about the thing that always makes the church transcendent. The fundamentals of the church of Jesus Christ. What are the fundamentals? They are the things we know that give us an edge. Turn to the person beside you and say, you know stuff that gives you an edge. Tell them. You know stuff that gives you an edge. And what is it that gives us an edge as this transcendent church of Jesus Christ? First of all, let me read this passage of Scripture for you. Because this will frame where I'm going. Ephesians 1 and 23. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. And let me say that again, because it's powerful. I hope that this is something that you will commit to memory. Ephesians 1.23, the church you see, say I see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. So when we walk into a setting, when we find ourselves in a new culture, on a new continent, with a new mission, we understand this. We already have an edge because we understand that while we may be the new kid in town, that we are the baddest dog on the block. We are here to present the church of Jesus Christ and the world has to recognize that the church has arrived and the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Let's talk about the things that we see the things that we know. The very first thing that we know as this transcendent church, we know serving is the key to greatness. Amen. Are, 
we're not above reviewing some fundamentals today, are we? How many of you are ready to review some fundamentals? We know, say, I know, know. serving is the key to greatness. Mark 10, 42. So Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people. Officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. When God chose Abraham, he gave him a promise. And it was a promise of multiplication. God wanted a people. What you need to understand is that the Western idea that basically has been crafted in the United States and other Western places of our salvation being all about us individually is incorrect. Here's what you need to understand, is that Jesus Christ died for the church. Not for you individually, but for the church. And when he comes back, he's not coming for you individually. He's coming for a bride. And the Lord always wanted a people. When he got Abraham, he had his man of faith. But he didn't just move through this man of faith to be able to do great God things in the earth. Instead, he told him, I want to talk to you about the promise of your seed. Now, Abraham wants one kid. That's all he wants. He and his wife can't have children. He just wants a child. He's not asking to be the father of many nations. He is not asking to be the one who will perpetuate the church of Jesus Christ eventually on the planet. Just give me a kid, God. That's all I want, one child. That'll be enough for me. But the Lord says to him right up front, he says, no. What I'm going to do is that I am going to bless your seed and your seed is going to be as the stars in the sky without number and the sand which is beside the seashore. Okay, we all know that. And then comes Isaac and he gets the same promise. Again, Isaac has no idea what God's up to, but God wants a people. And then Jacob, God wants a people. Now, Jacob gets so busy having kids, he almost fulfills that promise by himself. (laughs) And he has one boy by the name of Joseph, and the Word of God says that he loved that boy more than all the rest. What a dysfunctional household, amen? He gives him a coat of many colors. Now, what you have to understand about colors is that in Hebrew, there is no term for what we know as color. But yet colors were very significant in the history of the Hebrew people, especially the colors of the rainbow, because that was a covenant that God made with Noah. So I believe without Jacob even knowing it, that he clothed his son with the covenant. He put a coat of many colors on him, saying, I'm clothing you with the covenant of God. And then, of course, we know what happened. His brothers, uh, 
became his Uber to get him to Egypt. You do understand that that was what that was all about. You know, God had to take those shepherds and make them empire builders. They were headed for the promised land. If you could have had God speak at that moment and tell you what was on his mind, this is what I believe he would have said. Joseph, hey, I know you're discouraged today in that slave train, but that was the only way I could get you to Egypt. Because I, right now, am moving a great people to the promised land. It's not going to start centuries from now. It starts now. I want to move you from these tents, and I want to get you to the promised land. But this is the first step. I've got to get you into Egypt where you can begin in every setting to understand what it means to build an empire. Because I am going to call on you to go to a promised land and build an empire. So I've got to get you from tents to the greatest civilization on the planet, and that's Egypt. talking about servanthood. You say, what does this have to do with servanthood? Well, Joseph lands in Potiphar's house. And what does he do? Serves. And he serves so well that he learns not only the language of Egypt, but he also learns how Egyptian royalty live their lives. He serves them. He knows what to do with the protocol now. When he meets a visiting dignitary at the door of Potiphar, he makes Potiphar proud because he is Egyptian from head to toe. He speaks the language of the protocol. He learns everything that Potiphar has to teach him until he graduates. And at that point, God's got to find another servant to get him to the next stage of his education. And this adulterous woman will do fine. She accuses him. And he's thrown into not just prison. Folks, you can't miss this. He is thrown into the royal. Somebody say royal. royal. Now, who is in the royal prison? Only people that serve Pharaoh himself. So now he's moving from an understanding of what happens with Egyptian royalty and understanding the language and understanding the protocol and understanding the customs of the empire to now he is going to go into the only place in the empire where he can get access to all of the knowledge about Pharaoh's inner court without being there himself. And the two men that are in that prison happen to be the ones that are closest to Pharaoh. And what do they do? They don't watch soccer. They don't watch football. They don't talk about the weather. No. For weeks and months on end, they talk about what they know. And Joseph asks, okay, tell me, tell me again about how the palace, the the." Uh, the throne room looks. Can you tell me? Oh, yeah. No, okay, now here's where the furniture is. Okay, now. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's great. Now, what happens when he comes in? What does everybody do? Oh, 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 this is, you always, okay. Oh, that's good. That's great. Yeah. 
It's a little bit different, you know, at the house where I served. Oh, yeah, well, tell me, tell me again. What are his children's names? Oh, okay, okay. Great. And now, nobody in Egypt knows more about what goes on in that throne room than our boy. But he is getting ready for the moment when God is going to usher. You know, and, and, you know, we just think it's about Joseph, don't we? It's not all about Joseph. Because the day is going to come when God will send the famine, which will get the rest of those rascals to Egypt. And then when they walk in, because this man is a servant, because he served in Potiphar's house, because he served in the prison, because he served when he was called upon to serve Pharaoh. And now he stands before his brothers in the greatest reveal in human history and certainly the most strategic because if he fails this, the whole plan unravels. He has no idea. He's standing before the very men that are going to have their names on the pillars of heaven. He has no idea. He's standing before the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. He has no idea that this is a moment when God has set it on his calendar that they will move from individual interest to nationhood. But he doesn't fail because in that moment when they stand before him, he forgives, he forgets, and he serves because that's all he knows to do. Let me say something about you now. Wherever you are and whatever you are doing right now, if you are frustrated, you are missing your destiny. You cannot be frustrated and serve well at the same time. There is only one thing you need to be asking yourself where you are in your context right now. And that is how can I serve this situation better? Sometimes when you feel that someone's insensitive to you or someone's not recognizing you or you're not being appreciated, you become so frustrated, you become so wounded that you stop doing the only thing that makes you great. You know, when I was a football player, God began to teach me a great many lessons about the kingdom that I still hold on to today. And uh, coaching and, and being a spiritual father are very similar. Very similar. Coaching, you're not playing anymore. You're just helping the guy that's on the field be great. That's the way it is being a spiritual father or a pastor. I'll never forget when I was playing I had an injury to, the, to my right arm, which was my throwing arm. I was a quarterback, so I, my job was to throw the football. And my 
right elbow had what was called a bursa injury. It was a bursa sac that a bursa in, and it was huge with fluid on my elbow. And it was painful. Oh, my goodness. And so the coach had us working out. Well, normally the quarterback didn't do the same drills that everybody else because you have a different skill set. So what you do is you just go over and you, you warm up and get the arm, the old arm loose so that you can, you can work all the drills. But the other guys, man, they're hitting the ground. It's, it's called, we call them up-downs. You just you jog in place, then he goes, blows a whistle, and you hit the ground. Then you roll, and then you hit the ground, and you roll, and it's miserable. So the coach calls me over, and I've just led my team to the only undefeated season in the history of the university. And now I'm going into my last year, my senior year. I'm thinking I, sh I should have a little special consideration here. But he wants me to do the drills with the rest of the guys. So I'm in there with Boom Boom Berto and all those guys doing those drills. And I'm hitting the ground with the bursa injury. Boom, hitting the ground. Boom. And every time I hit the ground, I get madder. I get more angry. I'm going, what is he doing? Doesn't he understand the value that I'm bringing to this thing? I mean, we just went undefeated. I'm the quarterback. I'm the guy. And he's making me do these drills, and he knows I'm injured. He can see my elbow. And so I was just going kind of half speed, angry, getting to the back of the line, disgusted. I went to pray that night, and when I went to pray, the Holy Spirit said, um, I, I'm not going to hear you today. That's what I heard from God. I said, Lord, what have I done? He said, you're, you're a thief. I said, I'm a thief? He said, yes. I said, what have I stolen? Never taken anything in my life. I mean, I, I never stolen anything. He said, well, he said, these people are giving you a full scholarship to this university to play football. And in return, you've given your word that you will give everything you have. And you're not giving your best. I said, I've given my best, Lord God. I'm having a conversation with the Lord. This didn't happen to me or doesn't happen to me every day of my life. I'm going to tell you, when God's speaking to me in sentences like this, it was powerful. I said, Lord, I've, I've, we went undefeated. I've given my... He said, no, no, no. In the calisthenics you're doing before the practice, those up-downs, you're not giving your best. You resent it. You're a thief. And until you get that right, I'm not hearing you today. I repented. And then I walked into my coach and I said, Coach, I said, I need to talk to you. I said, I've stolen from you. And he just, he just got white. He thought I'd really stolen something <laughs> that was going to be important. I said, no. I said, I stole from you in the workout. I resented you making me do that. And I said, I'm sorry. And I said, I want to tell you something. You're going to have a lot better quarterbacks than me at this school. But you will never have anyone that does that drill better than I will do it 
from now on. You say, what was that all about? It was about teaching me for the future that when I am in a place where I feel like I'm being used or people are being insensitive to me or they're not appreciating my gifting, that I only have one concern and it's not what they're giving back, but it is what I am giving. Some of you need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to repentance today because you're half speed at your job. You're not giving everything you have because you feel underappreciated and overworked. Let me say this to you. Number one, you will never be overworked for the kingdom of God because there's always a reward in the labor. But number two is this. The Lord says this. He who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. That's what we see. That's what makes us the transcendent church. Here's the second thing. We know community and unity is the key to God's favor. Do you understand these are really the words of Jesus? Listen to this. My prayer, Jesus' prayer, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who are going to believe in me in Stockholm, meeting there for that conference. Those who are a part of SOS, I pray for them through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may know and may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Let me say this to you. God didn't give you his glory just so that you can win a continent to Christ. God didn't give you his glory just so that you can establish yourself as a great prophet. God didn't give you his glory just so that you can establish a church of thousands. God didn't give you his glory so that you could stand head and shoulders above your peers. God didn't give you his glory so that you can be a prolific preacher. God gave you his glory so that you might walk in oneness and unity and community with everyone to the right and the left of you in this great church. We're talking about fundamentals. And my phone keeps turning off. And I don't even know how to keep it on. So this is the way it is. So I keep having to do this. Here's what he said. He said that they might be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. And have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who have, you have given me to be with me where I am. To see my glory. The glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they that, have, that you have sent, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. You know, the thing that has impressed me most about being here has been your love for each other and has been your gracious heart toward me as an outsider. I feel loved everywhere I go in this place. I've moved in your presence. Smiles that warm the heart. 
hugs, handshakes, people making eye contact. I appreciate you, Pastor. Thank you for being here. We love you. Let me say this to you. That's the thing that is missing in a fractured world where people are turning each on each other like angry animals is this glorious island of the kingdom and the community of almighty God. How many of you understand that we see and we know community and unity is the key to God's favor? Here's the third thing. We know gratitude and acknowledgement are the keys to increase. Mark 4.25 says, Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even that which they have will be taken from them. I have a rule of life. You want to write it down? It may help you. Write this down. I'm not going to tell you to write everything down, but write this down. This is my mantra in life. Here it is. You ready? I always have more than I deserve. I live by that. I always have more than I deserve. You see, I, I, I never want to become ungrateful. I want to live my life in gratitude. And then right there with that is acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Have you ever been with somebody and the whole time they're with you, they're looking past you? How many of you really... How many of you have ever been ever felt small because you go to the front of an auditorium and you meet a man or a woman of God and they, they greet you and kind of with a half plastic smile and they're looking over your shoulder? Or they're trying to get away. They're just trying to get away. Yeah, yeah. They just preached for 45 minutes on the love of God and wept and you thought they were the greatest person of compassion in the world and then you can't even get a handshake before they're disappearing into the back room. What is that? That's a lack of something that we don't talk about in the body of Christ much. Acknowledgement. You know that the cruelest thing you can do is to not acknowledge someone. Do you know that where I live, there is still so much racism. I was given the Martin Luther King Award in my city three years ago. And it was one of the greatest honors ever because it was given to me by a man in the city who gives it annually, and he and his organization. And he was a pastor in our city that during the civil rights um, revolution, uh, he was in his pulpit, he was pulled out of his pulpit and beaten with clubs in front of his congregation. He's 85 years old now. He, he remembers when dogs attacked the little girls in his congregation wearing chiffon dresses on Sunday morning. Police dogs. He remembers when they rode into his little sanctuary on horseback down the aisles, can you imagine, beating his parishioners with clubs. Yet the man has no bitterness in him. God has cleansed him of all bitterness and he's, he's a leader and he's one of my mentors. I love him dearly. But the sadness about racism is 
that acknowledgement is missing. It's, let me say this to you. Moral failure is a terrible thing. But to fail to acknowledge is wicked. It's wicked. That I don't acknowledge you as a man because of your culture or your color. And you know, all over the world we see people killing each other that used to be neighbors. And if you were to stand them side by side, you would not be able to tell whether or not they were even of different races because they look exactly alike, but they come from different ideologies and backgrounds and cultures. So they refuse to acknowledge, understanding it's the cruelest thing that you can ever do. Let me say this to you. In the kingdom of God, gratitude and acknowledgement are the keys to increase. I acknowledge the hard work that you put in. I acknowledge the fact that you've been away from your family most of the time because you have given your life away. I acknowledge your sacrifice, apostle. I acknowledge the fact that these people are here because you have laid your life down. I, I acknowledge it. I want you to understand it. We'll never, ever withhold acknowledgement from you because it's wicked. One of the things I've done through the years is just make sure if anybody's ever done anything for me, they understand that I will always be in their corner. Recently, a man betrayed me. And he did something that cost me and those that I serve a lot of money. He, he did something that cost me a lot of money. But in the past, this man has helped me. So I could not go against my fundamentals of life. Because one of my fundamentals of life is if you have ever helped me, if you one time have helped me do anything, I will always be in your corner. So I had to deny myself, call him, say, hey, can you meet me at Waffle House? Let's hang out. He was so surprised. Okay, I'll be there. We walk in. We're face to face. He denied everything that everyone knew that he had done. I let him deny it. Because this is what I said to him. I said, everywhere I look, I see things that you've done for me in the past. And I said, I want you to understand that regardless of where you go or what you do or who you are, I said, I'm always in your corner. I will never hurt you. I will always, always support you. You say, why do you do that? Because I understand that there are certain fundamentals that we cannot ignore. And gratitude and acknowledgement are the keys to your increase. When you are grateful and when you are willing to acknowledge those that have helped you and have blessed you and to never forget them, I can tell you that God is going to pour out more and more and more and more on you until you can't contain it. Amen. I got eight minutes. Do you, do you want to do, do you want to do question and answer here in a minute? What do you want to do? 
Or you want me to finish this? You want me to finish it? Okay, you bet. That's what I'm going to do. Number four, we know generosity and giving are the key to kingdom prosperity. Now listen to me, folks. I'm a prosperity preacher. So I may not fit in here. I don't know. Am I okay? Okay, I'm a prosperity preacher. Now, I am not a glut and glam preacher. I'm a prosperity preacher. I feel that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous for righteous acts and deeds. I have the house I want. I don't ever want to move. I love my house. I don't need another one in the mountains. I don't need another one somewhere in the Bahamas. I, I love my house. I have the truck I want to drive. I got a black truck, 2015, baby. It is sharp. It was given to me. Thank God there's nothing like free cars. Wonderful. And I'm, I'm just fine. There is not anything in this world that I'm just thinking about that I want. I don't ever sit down and think about the watch I want, even though I really love watches. I really do. I like them. I like them. Now, I've given a bunch of them away. I've enjoyed having them and then giving them away. I enjoy it. But here's what I will tell you is this. There is nothing out there that I want except to see the kingdom of God built. So I have to be a prosperity preacher because it takes money to do the things that God has put on our heart. Now, there are some pious men that will stand here and repeat something that has been said through the years. There is not a lack of provision. There's just a lack of vision because there will always be provision where there's vision. That is totally ludicrous. You've never said anything that is more wrong than that. And pastor, I hope you haven't said it, but I can tell you if you have, you're dead wrong. <laughs> because this is what I will tell you. If you had all the money that you needed, then what would you be doing? A lot more than you're doing right now. Because there are things and dreams that you have and there's vision that you've got stacked up. I mean, if somebody said, I got a million, you'll say, oh, I've got, oh, I've got a vision over here for that. I got 10 million. Oh, I got a $10 million vision. I got a hundred million. I got a hundred million dollar vision. Here it is right here. I just want you to have, it. let me just tell you something. I've got more vision than I have provision. But here's the thing that we haven't preached. We haven't preached the fact that the Bible says, how shall they hear if there is no preacher? And how shall they go if no one sends them? Now, we put a lot of pressure on the preacher part. But we haven't put nearly enough pressure on the sender part. We got a bunch of kings in our midst that when God sends them great provision, then they think they're priest. And so what they do is that they get their own nonprofit in our country and they get their own ministry started. They want to start their own orphanages. They want to start their own. And they don't know anything. They're, they have no idea what they're doing. All they're doing is messing stuff up. And what they've got to do is begin to partner with the priest. If only they could understand that they're not under pressure to be a priest. They're only under pressure to be a king. 
go out there and make a billion dollars and then partner with Johannes Amritzer and say, now, what do you need me to finance? In fact, how about if I do this? How about if I just move this money into your bank account? In fact, give me your wiring information, and I'm just going to wire this money every month. In fact, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what four businessmen have done with me recently. I am now a, actually a partner. In four businesses where men have come and said, we need your wisdom and your prophetic insight in our business. You're not going to have any risk, but we are going to make you a percentage owner in the business because we understand that what you have is a vision for the kingdom of God. And it's not just going to be money that's going to come to you, but the money that we make, we also are going to begin to invest in the kingdom of God. Now, has that happened yet? No, because this stuff only happened over the last month. Can somebody say amen? amen? Let me tell you something. If that template, that pattern begins to be a pattern for the world, for the worldwide, for the church, then we will reach the world in record time because we've got to have the preachers and we've got to have business people senders. Some of you, You've come and you've received a call to preach because even though you're drawn to business and you're gifted in business and you make money easily, you feel, well, God wants me to preach the gospel and, you know, you do all right, but yet what you need to understand is maybe you turned your back on the very thing that God was asking you to do because they are of equal importance. I don't know if this is helping anybody. But it feels good to just hear it, doesn't it, Pastor? Because that's what we think. And we get so frustrated, we just want somebody to stink and say it. So I'm saying it. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let me move on quickly. The next thing we know is this is that grace and faithfulness are the key to longevity. Put your hand on your chest and say, Lord God, give me a faithful heart. May I never stray in my affection for you. And may I always understand that with every weakness of flesh, with every season of imperfection, that the grace of God covers, empowers, in every area. Thank you that I am a part of your body and that I am accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know why people quit? Guilt. That's why they quit. It's true. They, they quit because of guilt. I've, I've always been a preacher and I preach hard line you know for years that was that was me not anymore I preach holiness but I preach the grace of God because I've under, I've had to come into a revelation that the grace of God is greater you say what do you mean by that pastor well I don't think the grace of God excuses you to go do everything you want to do I don't think that I don't think you know the Lord if that's what you're doing but I can tell you this that if you are in a season of fighting a battle, because let me just ask you, where else do you think you're going to fight it? 
I'm serious. We talk about fighting battles. What are we talking about? The world, the flesh, the devil. We never stop fighting those battles. The world, the flesh, the devil. Now, either grace covers us and empowers us to win, or it doesn't. Paul said, I have a thorn in the flesh. And people have used this for all kinds of sin, and they shouldn't. Because it's obvious what is being said here. He said, I had this one, and and the Lord said, I'm not going to remove it. In other words, here, listen to this. God said, I'm not going to deliver you. I'm going to allow you to learn discipline. I am going to show you that my grace is sufficient to give you everything you need to overcome. It is going to be more valuable to the kingdom for you to have a thorn in the flesh that you have had to systematically overcome through my grace and the understanding of my word than it will be if I remove it and nobody else has that testimony. Here's what I want you to understand. It is grace, hallelujah, and faithfulness that are key to longevity. We're talking about fundamentals. We know prayer and the practice of God's presence is the key to happiness. You say happiness? Oh, yeah. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. When you get away from God's presence, you will lose the reason why you're doing all this. Because the stuff will never fulfill you. We know the word of God is the key to great faith. Hallelujah. Why is the word of God the key to great faith? Because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you know what's funny about that? They were talking about the law. But we have a new covenant. And this glorious new covenant is the thing that energizes us and builds our faith. Let me say this to you. If you're struggling in your faith, go on a word binge. Get that Bible and wear it out for six weeks. And I promise you, it will work automatically. Your heart and your mind will be energized with faith. You'll be amazed. You'll be sharing scripture you never memorized. You'll be referring to passages that you never even comprehended. It will be amazing because that is what we know as a fundamental of the faith is that the word of God is the key to great faith. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me say this to you. Every one of us have got to go back to the fundamentals. We've got to go back to Bethel. And we need to check ourselves to make sure that we are fundamentally sound and ready for the challenge that is at hand. I've got six minutes and 43 seconds left, and this is what I want to do. I want to open this up for questions about anything. Can I do that? Will that work? So here I am. And there you are. So you can ask me questions about anything. It doesn't have to be about the message. 
Anything you want to ask me? What are the fundamentals that you're talking about to build upon? I just talked about them. Those are the fundamentals. The Word of God, faith, servanthood. Those are the fundamentals of the faith. And those are the things we know. The reason I said these are the things we know is because none of these are new. You wouldn't be sitting in that seat if you had not grasped those fundamentals. But all of those are the fundamentals of the faith that brought us to where we are. And so we have to revisit them. If we don't revisit them, then as the Word of God says, we will allow the things that we know to slip from our grasp. Um, amen. Any questions at all about anything? Family, marriage, anything. Um, yeah, I have a question. You have six children. Yes. And they all love God. Seven. I, got, I, I, have, I have an adopted son. Okay, seven. Yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Even better. So uh, my question is, all of them... They love God. So what did you do? Well, you know, I think that I, I, I think the one thing that my kids say is this, is that we were never different in the sanctuary or behind the pulpit than we were at home. That didn't mean we're always preaching at home. It just meant that we we were just who we were. And so I, I think that what, what happens with kids is they begin to feel the pressure of this ministry thing. What Pastor Johannes was talking about was receiving a word from one of his mentors early in, um, in he and Maria's marriage and having children where, where he, he told him, he said, always, always keep this, what was it, a pleasure? or yeah, Always make the kids. Is this the one on? Yeah, always make the kids uh, uh, see that it is a privilege that mom and dad are serving God. Yeah. So we always, we always told our kids yeah. that. We said to them, uh, you know, yeah. why are we on this vacation to America? And our kids were shouting from the backseat, because mom and dad are serving Jesus. Ah. <laughs> That's so good. You know, one of the things that we, we did was this. You're going to have trouble in church. How many of you understand that? How many of you understand people are going to betray you in church? They're going to hurt your feelings. Don't ever, ever make that an issue in your home. And always let them understand if there is trouble or mom and dad are betrayed or somebody turns their back on them or they say things, that happens everywhere. In the corporate world, they will cut your throat and watch you bleed to death. It's better in the church than it is in the corporate world. And so what we have done always is make sure that our kids understood that people are people and people do unfortunate things, but it has nothing to do with the church of Jesus Christ. It's just people. And that we're the most blessed people in the world to be serving the Lord, just like Pastor just said. And, you know, I, and I think that the other thing is this, have fun with your kids. Have fun with your kids, especially you dads. When you come home, have fun with your kids. Whatever your kids love to do, do that with them. I've been around long enough to now preach so many funerals, you know, so many. 
at my age, I've preached so many. My friends are now leaving and going to the other side. I'm preaching their funerals. And here's what I will tell you. I have more times than I can say preached the funeral of a 70-year-old man and his 45 or 50-year-old son would stand behind the podium at the funeral, and this is what he would say. My dad was always at my sporting events. What? You're 50 years old, and that's what you're talking about? Yes. Or a lady that stands, and she's 60 years old, and she says, my dad always came to my recitals. How important is that? It's a lifetime of importance. Make sure that you make room for your kids. Be there for your children. Always let your kids know they're more important than anything else you're doing. I've told my kids, I'm going to test them. If Destiny called right now, I should have this phone turned off. I don't. But what I can tell you, if she called right now and I saw her name, I'd pick up an answer right in front of this crowd. I've done it many, many times. Answer, hi, baby. How you doing? What's daddy doing? I'm standing here preaching to this crowd in Sacramento, California. Okay, I'll see you later. You go, you're crazy. No, no, no. I made a vow to my kids that if ever they call me, even if I'm with the president of the United States, I'm going to take their call. It's more important to me that my kids grow up to love God than it is that I do something great in ministry. Is that right? Okay. Anybody else? Yes, yes. Uh, thank, you, thank you very much, uh, Minister. Um, are there any uh, simple skills for the king, for the for the for the uh, priests to partner with the kings, so that the kings can be aware of how to channel their funds to the priests and to avoid that confusion? Are there some yeah. simple skills for that? Yeah, there are. There are some. There are some things that you can talk about. Number one is that you have to understand it as a priest. And it's got to be a revelation to you. You can't slightly handle this thing. You've got to talk about it. And you've got to talk about the inherent blessing of kings coming alongside priests for ministry that is even more powerful. If you don't invest in your kings, then you'll never have them. Because the thing about the kings in your midst, those that God has anointed to do greatly in business and to bring the treasure to you so that you can transfer it, hallelujah, into eternal things, is that they want desperately to be with you. That's what they desire. And you don't have to do it in, in a, an imbalanced way, but you need to call them together and you need to invest in them. There are a lot of people that say, I don't do good with rich people. I, I tell you, I don't do good with rich people. Let me say this to you. As a coach, as a coach, here's what you have to understand. Great teams win championships, not great individuals. But you have to have great individuals on great teams. So the reason many coaches can't succeed is because they don't know how to handle what we say in the business is they don't know how to handle their stud. They don't know how to handle their great player. Because great players think differently, act differently, and are different than the rest of the people on the team. So if a guy is a rainmaker and he is a business person, and he's out there moving and shaking and making deals, then his mind operates differently than the average church member. And if you are offended by that, then you'll never have kings. 
But if you know how to sit down with those guys and appreciate them and allow them to be who they are. Many times you can just sit down with the kings. They want to do all the talking. So pastors just say, well, I'm not going to hang out with them. He wants to do all the talking. You know how I approach that? I approach that like this. Everywhere I go, everybody wants me to do all the talking. If I sit down with this guy and he wants to do all the talking, thank God that's a cup of coffee and rest. Because that's what blesses him. Amen? So it's important for us, if we're going to have kings, number one, not to be offended by them. Let me say this to you too. We are a body. Ephesians 4 is very serious when it comes to the kingdom of God. There are evangelists who think it's only evangelism. If you're not winning souls, you're just worthless. That's me and, and pastor here. That's what, you're worthless if you're not winning souls. That's us. That's who we are. That's who we are, right? Right? We're, you know, we have an apostolic thing on us, but we're evangelists, man. We just, ooh, hallelujah. Want to get the people saved. Glory to God. But then, then you have a prophet, all right? And the prophet is going to tell you everything comes through the prophetic. Everything is released through the prophetic. Everything. And that's all you're going to hear about the prophetic. And people are going to say, he's just so extreme. He's just prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. Prophet, prophet, prophet. So extreme. And then you've got the teacher. And he thinks all of us are out of line. Because he's going to put everything in order. He's the teacher. And if you're not sitting down and learning something, if you're not absolutely giving yourself to the study and the understanding, the explication of the Word of God, then you have no worth at all in the kingdom of God. I don't care how many gifts you have. You'll hear that over and over. I don't care how many gifts you have. If you don't have knowledge of the Word of God, if you don't have a depth of understanding of the Word of God, that's the gift of the teacher. Extreme, extreme, extreme. Then you got the pastor. He just wants to build people together. If you don't have an understanding of community, everything in the kingdom of God is community. It was community in the Old Testament. You wouldn't have the law of God if it were not for the laws of community. And in the New Testament, it is all about the body coming together. And I can tell you that even in eternity, it is going to be the community of God. It is going to be the church of Jesus Christ. And if you do not acknowledge the church of Jesus Christ as foremost and as paramount, then you absolutely are out of line. That's, that's, that's the pastor. Extreme. Extreme, extreme, extreme. Amen. The There's one more. The two that aren't extreme, that's you and me, I think. Huh? Is that it? Yeah, I think so. Is that it? <laughs> but here's, here's, here's what happens, though. Here's what happens is this. What is balance in the kingdom of God? And I'll leave you with this. It's a combination of extremes. Awesome. I heard your teaching on that once. Never balance your extremes. That's an amazing teaching. But... We will have to uh, have him back tomorrow again. He is doing the sending service for us. Pastor Danny DeRon, thank you so much. I'm four minutes over. Come on. You have been listening to a podcast from SOS Church Stockholm. If you want to know more about the church or have information about our Bible school and leadership academy, go online to soschurch.se. We hope to see you soon at a celebration here in Stockholm or at one of our daughter's churches in Gothenburg or Malmö. Have a wonderful week.